In your Bibles this morning, will you turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and this may not be a traditional Easter or Resurrection Sunday passage, but one of the things that struck me this week in preparing for this Sunday is the way in which the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all over the New Testament. And it is, it's like the air that the New Testament writers breathe. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus is not risen, then our faith is vain. And you can see that in the way that the New Testament writers present their material. They, they assume the resurrection in every word, on every page. And sometimes the resurrection of Christ is drawn into uh, and linked to different themes and aspects of our Christian experience. And in the passage that I want us to focus on this morning, this passage in Ephesians 1 is actually a prayer of Paul for the, Thess- for the Ephesian Christians. And so beginning in verse 15 of chapter 1, going through the end of the chapter, verse 23, Paul is letting the Ephesian Christians know what he has been praying for them. He, he tells them what his prayers have been. And uh, I think there is much that we can be encouraged by from this prayer of Paul today. Because while Paul was praying it for specifically for Christians that he knew in the city of Ephesus, this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. This is a prayer that we can pray for ourselves. This is a prayer that we can pray for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a prayer that we can pray as the family of God for one another. And, and my prayer is that it's an encouragement to us today. And in this prayer, Paul reveals a resurrection hope that we as Christians all share. He says in verse 15, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. 
Let's bow in prayer together. Father, we thank you for this Resurrection Sunday, a day in which we can remember and celebrate with joy the fact that our Savior lives. And Father, really every first day of the week, when we gather together as your people as a commemoration, a rejoicing in the fact that our Savior lives. We thank you, Father, that we serve a risen Savior and that he is right now seated at your right hand and that right now he has been exalted over all principalities and powers and that he is bringing to completion the plan of the ages. He is bringing to fulfillment our hope. Father, we thank you for the time that we have to reflect on these words this morning. And we pray that you would bless. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. I want to focus our attention this morning, beginning in verse 18, when Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. What Paul is praying for is really spiritual insight. He's praying for illumination, for their eyes spiritually to be opened, to to be able to understand more, to comprehend more about what God is doing for them and for us through Christ. And the thing that he wants them to know and the thing that he wants their eyes to be enlightened, to be able to see is the hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he has called us. Hope is a distinctively Christian word. When we talk about hope in our normal everyday language, we think of it in terms of uh, an if, you know, and a hope so, kind of a wish or a longing. Well, I would like for this to work out. I hope this will work out this way. But when the New Testament writers talk about hope, they're not talking about it in that way. They're not talking about it in the sense of, well, maybe this will happen. I I hope this will happen. I wish this will happen. No, when the New Testament writers talk about our hope as Christians, they're talking about something that is settled. They're talking about something that is secure, something that is guaranteed, something that has been accomplished, set, purchased, finished. As Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And so biblically, our hope as Christians is not an if. Our hope as Christians is a when. When is this going to be fulfilled? When is our hope going to be fulfilled and completed? So our hope is not an if, a longing, it is a certainty. But the one thing that is similar with the way that we normally use the word hope in our common language is that it's still future. So when we say, I hope something will happen, we're looking to the future, aren't we? Well, that's the same with biblical hope. It's still looking to the future, still looking for something that is yet to be fulfilled. But instead of a wish, it is a settled promise. So when Paul says, I I pray that you'll have spiritual eyesight, I'm praying for illumination for you. I want you to understand. I want you to be able to comprehend more the hope to which he, that is God, has called us. God has called us to a hope. And what is that hope? What is the hope that he has called us to? It is the hope of glory. 
It is a glorious hope. Whenever the Bible, whenever the New Testament writers talk about this hope that we have been called to, it is talking about the, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is talking about the new age. It is talking about heaven. It's talking about the new heavens and the new earth. It's talking about a beautiful, glorious age in which Jesus will reign and in which we as his people will reign with him. When he talks about a hope, he's talking about resurrection from the grave. Because Jesus has risen, his people too will rise. As Jesus told Martha on the day that he raised Lazarus from the dead, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. And so the hope that Paul says, I want you to understand this more. It's a future hope, but it is a hope that is settled, that is secure. And it is a hope that involves our glorious resurrection from the grave. Our glorious transformation into the people of God, into a glorified existence with no more sin, no more propensities to sin, no more inclination to sin, no more evil thoughts, no more evil desires, but only and perfectly forever and ever a longing to do what is right and holy and righteous in the sight of God. No more sin and no more of the curse and the penalty of sin, no more death, no more disease, no more tears, no more crying but only a glorious existence. That's the hope. Paul says in Romans 8, I don't think we can really compare the sufferings that we are going through right now with the hope, with the glory that will be revealed in us afterward. Paul is saying in Romans 8, we we can't even begin to understand. It's hard for us to even compare. Right now, we're going through difficult times, Paul says. He was being persecuted for the cross. He was being persecuted for his witness for Christ. He was going through sufferings, and yet he says, these little sufferings, they're nothing in comparison to the great glory that awaits me. It's hard for us to comprehend, isn't it? It's hard for us to comprehend. That's why Paul is praying that our spiritual vision will be increased so that we can understand it a little bit more and appreciate it and look forward to it a little bit more. It is a glorious hope. I want your eyes to be enlightened that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. According to one commentator, what Paul is referring to in verse number 18, when he says the riches of, of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. It is talking about the fact that God has called us, purchased us to be his own, to be his own special possession, his special people. One commentator says this, according to this verse, we have been claimed by God as his portion in Christ. He says that God should set such high value on a community of sinners rescued from perdition and still bearing too many traces of their former state might well seem incredible were it not made clear that he sees them in Christ. As from the beginning, he chose them 
in Christ. He says God's estimate of the people of Christ united to him by faith and partakers of his resurrection life is inevitably consistent with his estimate of Christ himself. The reason we can be called the the inheritance of God's glory is because he sees us in Christ. He sees us through the work of Christ, through his life, his death, his resurrection from the grave. And so he can lavish his love on us and he can see us as his own treasured possession. And one day we will enjoy forever and ever the hope of glory. The resurrection hope that we have is a glorious hope. But I want us to know this morning also that it is a hope that is guaranteed by the power of God. What makes this hope secure? I mentioned a few minutes ago that Christian hope is not a what if. It's not a hope so. Christian hope is a settled certainty. What makes it so settled? Paul tells us in this passage that the power that is at work in us is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Listen to what he says. Verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Can you imagine any greater power than that? Not just that a human being would be raised from the dead. That's almost unbelievable in and of itself. But we have seen other instances in scripture of people be raised from the dead, haven't we? It happened in the Old Testament. Some of the prophets of God, like Elijah, raised people from the dead. Jesus, during his ministry, raised other people from the dead. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ was clearly unique in its exertion of the omnipotent divine power of God. Why? Because in the resurrection of Christ, it's not just bringing back a human being and putting breath back into his body. It is conquering all of the forces of evil. It is conquering Satan. It is conquering death itself. It is conquering sin and evil. It is bringing back to life, not any human being, but the divine son of God. One commentator says there is no greater power than that. There is no greater power than raising Christ from the dead. It is the display of the infinite surpassing power of God. And he says that power is at work in us who believe. That power is at work in us who believe. Just stop and think about that for a moment. The power that raised the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ from the dead, is the power that gives you faith. Is the power that will one day raise you from the dead. It is the power that right now is working in you to sanctify you and to to mold you and shape you in the image of Christ. 
It is the power that one day will transform you into the image of Jesus Christ. It is the power that guarantees your final salvation so that Jesus can say, no one is able to pluck my people out of my father's hand, right? What does Jesus say in John 10 in the context of that verse that I just mentioned? He says, my father who gives my sheep to me is greater than all. And no one can pluck them out of my father's hand. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that gives you life, spiritual life now, resurrection life then. It is the power that guarantees your salvation. As Paul says elsewhere in Philippians, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will complete it. He will carry it on to completion all the way until the day of Christ Jesus, the second coming of Christ. It is a resurrection hope that is a hope of glory. It's a glorious hope. It is a hope that is guaranteed by the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. Thirdly, it is a hope that is assured by the authority of Christ. It is a hope that is assured by the authority of Christ. In the same prayer, Paul says, the power that God raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is at work in you. And when he raised Christ from the dead, verse 20, he also seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Right hand of honor, right? Right hand of honor, right hand of privilege, right hand of authority. And he says he raised him and seated him in the heavenly realms, exalted him far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Just listen to the way that Paul describes the authority of Christ there. He is, he is in a way piling on the descriptions of the authority of Christ to emphasize the fact that Christ is supremely authoritative over everything and everyone. He says he is seated him far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, and whatever word else we can come up to, to, sin, to be a synonym with power and authority and strength and might and rule and dominion, he's over it all. He's over it all. And every name that is invoked, what does that mean? Well, when you're, when you're wanting to say you have authority, but you're not the authority, you invoke someone's name for that authority, right? Just like an ambassador would if he's going to a foreign country, says, I am giving you this message under the authority of the president of the United States. So he invokes a name. In the ancient world, someone who is under the authority of someone like that, they would invoke the name of Caesar, the name of some emperor. 
in the ancient world, they would even invoke the names of the gods. They would, invoke, they would invoke the names of the gods. And that's why in the Old Testament, God said to the Israelites, you shall take your oaths only in my name. Not in the names of any of the other gods. And related to that is the third commandment. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So he is the only name and be careful how you use that name. So Jesus' authority is over every other name that could possibly be invoked as a source of authority. All gods, all powers, all humans, all authorities. In verse 22, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. Everything. We don't often think about this. But I think because we don't think about this, we're not thinking about the resurrection the way the New Testament writers thought about the resurrection. When we think about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we should also automatically think about the kingship and the dominion of Christ. The fact that he has been raised from the dead means that he is Lord. He's God. He's king. He is the authority over everything and everyone. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 28, right after his resurrection, he appears to his disciples and the final words of the gospel of Matthew are these, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. That kind of commission, that kind of proclamation can only come from someone who has all authority. Go everywhere in every nation, every people, and tell them that they need to believe me and my word. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. Why is that significant? Because Jesus Christ is wielding this authority over every power, every authority, every dominion, over every name, not only in the present age, Paul says, but also in the age to come. So this isn't just a temporary thing. This is an all-inclusive authority, but also an eternal one, a never-ending one. Unlike human kingdoms that can fade, right? Human kingdoms can fade. Human kingdoms can be overthrown. Human kingdoms are not eternal, but Christ's is. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for what? Or for whom, I should say? The church. What was Paul's request? What was he really wanting us to know, to think about? The hope of glory, wasn't it? I want you to know, I want you to have spiritual eyesight to know the hope of glory to which he has called you. It is a hope that is guaranteed by the power of God, but it's also a hope that is assured by the authority of Christ. Because right now, Christ is ruling and reigning over everything 
And one thing Christ will make sure that happens is that everything that happens and unfolds, unfolds for the benefit of his church and their future glory. Everything for the church. And the church, he says, is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. There have been a lot of different ways of understanding that final phrase of verse 23. What does Paul mean when he's talking about this fullness or that which is filled up or fulfilled? I think one of the, maybe the best way to understand it is that he is talking about everything that he has just said. All of this, the power of God, the authority of God, the hope of glory to which he has called you, it is filling up, it is fulfilling, it is completing everything that God has intended and designed for the ages. The hope, the resurrection hope that we have, it is the culmination, it is the fulfillment of God's eternal plan for the ages. Everyone who is a believer in Christ has been chosen from before the foundation of the world. Their names are written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. And their names being written in the book of life before the world began guaranteed that those people would be in the new heavens and new earth to which everything was moving toward. This is the whole plan of God. God is infinitely wise, isn't he? God is infinitely wise. He is infinitely knowledgeable. He is infinite in power. He's infinite in glory. Do you think that the wisest, most intelligent being in the universe would start anything without knowing where it was going? When God started this whole thing and said, let there be light, and there was light, God knew exactly where it was going because he had planned it. He had planned it from before the creation ever existed, from eternity past. And his plan from all eternity past for all eternity future would be that he would redeem a people for himself through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, all, as Paul says here in Ephesians 1, all to the praise of his glory. The hope that we have, the resurrection hope that we have, it is a glorious hope. It is a hope guaranteed by the power of God. It is a hope assured by the authority of Christ. It is a hope that is the fulfillment of everything that God has been moving all of creation toward for all of human history. Maybe that will help us just a little bit to understand how big, how glorious, how grand, how majestic this hope is. The last 12 months have been pretty rough for a lot of people. COVID has been rough for a lot of people. 
it's affected a lot of people in a lot of different ways. It's affected them physically, medically. It's affected them financially. It's affected them emotionally, keeping people inside and separated from one another. Depression is on the rise. Suicide is on the rise. It's been a difficult year for many, many people. And on top of that, we've had all kinds of unrest and division and strife within our own nation. There are places that are on the verge of war right now. There are places that have uh, Christians being terrorized right now. I, it would not surprise me. I pray to the Lord that I do not read about this this afternoon, but it would not surprise me if somewhere in the world today, a church, a group of people, Christians gathered together to worship the resurrected Christ was attacked because it was Easter Sunday. It happens. It's, it's, we live in a difficult world. We live in challenging times. We need hope, don't we? We need hope. And Paul in this passage is giving us that hope. And what he's reminding us of is the hope that we have is so far greater than we can imagine that he has to pray for understanding to be enlightened even just a little bit more so that we can understand it. Because the more that we understand it, the more that we are motivated by it, the more that it gives us encouragement, the more that it propels us forward, the more that it gives us strength, the more that it helps us to persevere through difficult times. That's why Paul wants us to know this hope. And so I hope, I pray that we will know this hope, the hope to which God has called us, the hope that he's accomplishing through his mighty power, the hope that Christ is overseeing with all authority, the hope that he is bringing to fulfillment. I pray that we will come to understand it even more and it will encourage us and motivate us and help us to go on and move forward day by day in joy and in hope, not in sadness and in despair, but in joy and in hope, because we know what is awaiting us. As Paul says in Colossians, don't set your eyes on things below, but set your eyes on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and where we too one day will be with Christ. Let's bow together and pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that we do have a hope. We have a hope that is settled, that is secure, a hope that has been purchased, accomplished. Father, we thank you that your power is at work in us. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us, calling us to yourself, creating resurrection life within us, holding us close to your side and keeping us all the way until the day of redemption. We thank you that right now Christ is ruling over everything. I thank you, Father, that we do not serve a defeated Savior, but we serve a victorious one. We do not follow a dead teacher, but we follow a living Savior. Father, thank you for the hope that we have in the name of Christ. And Lord, we long for the day when this hope that we have will be realized. It will be fulfilled. 
and we can see Christ face to face and we can spend all of eternity in the glory that you are preparing for us. In the meantime, Father, day by day, give us the grace that we need. Strengthen our hope that we might live for you in this fallen world. May we be the lights, the shining lights that you have called us to be in this dark place. And Father, may we bring you honor and glory in doing so. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.